Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Michael Zalavari, also known as Man 11 and today I am joined by Ollie and Andrea, 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 where, we, <laughs> where we're going to talk about the uh, last month's four hours of uh, Shanghai, the WC four hours of Shanghai. So th- thank you very much for joining us, guys. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It, it has been a while since I've been on this. I think it's my first episode since April. Really? Has it been that long? I, I think it is my first since April. Yeah, I, I completely dropped the ball on racing this year. I'm God very damn. sorry. <laughs> That's all right. You're here now. Uh, and also, welcome to Ollie. Thank you. Thank you. On this really cold December morning. Why are we doing sports cars this late in the year? Yeah, it feels a bit weird, doesn't it? Normally, we've been uh, like wrapped up for the last two or three months at this stage uh, of the year. Mm. But uh, luckily for us, well... Depends on your definition of lucky. The WC Championship now runs over winter. And I'm going to use that in inverted commas because while Ollie's freezing his butt off in the English winter on the cold morning, it's 37 degrees here and I'm having an absolute blast. Loving it. Can I join? Mm, maybe. Come come over from, from Croatia. Uh, yeah, that's a bit of a flight. Just, just a tad. Um, anyway, back to back to the actual stuff we should be talking about. Uh, Shanghai, yeah. right? Uh, we're only going to talk about the WC event at Shanghai. Unfortunately, we don't uh, haven't got it organized to talk about Asian Le Mans, uh, Asian Le Mans, Asian Le Mans series at Shanghai as well. But cracking into the WC side of things, it's the last of the shortened events of the WEC season for this year. Uh, so it's the last of the four-hour events. The rest of the season is six hours plus. Um, so how do, how do we feel about the four-hour format for WEC? I, I like the race format. I like how the race race and the stories evolves. I still think it, sh- it maybe should have been like a fixed distance format just to distance it from the four-hour ELMS and ASLMS events because having two races that are both called four hours of Silverstone or four hours of Shanghai is a bit, um, how, how shall I put this? Um, Lame. Might, might be a bit, might be, might be a bit misleading. Is yeah, fair enough. I want to go with this. So maybe having it as a fixed distance format, especially Silverstone, which I'm absolutely sure should have been 500 hours, 500 miles. 500 hours. Wow. <laughs> that would, <laughs> that would, that would be, an, that would be a race. I think yeah, I disagree with like that. 12 drivers per car. <laughs> So why do you disagree, Ollie? Um, well, one of the main reasons why they shortened the uh, race uh, duration rather than distance. Um, what what was the point? It was to get families, get people who aren't necessarily used to this sport to turn up. People who might just be Formula One um, enthusiasts who think they might just give it a go. If you are having to organise something that you've and go for the first time... Um, how do you know how to plan your day out if you have to then work out the average lap times and then divide the distance to work out how long it's going to take? If you want to watch the whole thing start to finish, you're going to have to no idea when you're going to leave. And, you know, if we've got people coming from around a country to it, then it might be a bit difficult. And especially when, you you know, this is waiting towards families and things like that to get them involved. Look. I, I can see where you're coming from, but I guess I have a different perspective on it because a lot of the racing in my side of the world is not time-dependent, it's lap-dependent. So my major series is V8 Supercars, and, you know, we have the Sandown 500, the Bathurst 1000, you know, the Adelaide event is two 250k races, so you kind of 
have a basis of calibration around that. Um, I don't really buy the how long is it going to take angle. Um, on the other hand, your point about like families coming together and enticing new groups of people into it is a good point. But as far as this event and the racing at Shanghai, on one hand, I like that it was shorter and it had a bit, uh, it was a bit tighter to play out, so everything was a bit more frantic. But I think the GT races, especially, get hurt by the shorter events because with the GTs, like uh, the GTE cars, they basically can do a stint to an hour, so you just kind of chop that up into three even parts, and it's kind of you know a bit a bit played out, whereas with the longer races, you can try something a bit different. So I think that's my only gripe. But as far as the prototype racing goes, it was it was a lot of fun, in my in my opinion. Mm, yeah, I I definitely do remember the prototypes more, and it has been a month since the race, so my memory might be a bit shady in places, but hey. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Uh, uh, the GTs, yeah, as you said, out of stint, it's, there's, less, there's less to go on, as, yeah. you, as you would put it. Yeah. Rest of the races, six hours plus. Next race will be the eight hours of Bahrain. How do we think that one's going to play out in terms of uh, the race length and the strategy around that? Are we looking forward to an, an eight-hour event at Bahrain? I mean, in this particular case, I would have preferred six, but that's f- for reasons that my life is going to intervene. For, uh, and I'm not going to be able to watch the full eight, sadly. Uh, but uh, but I think uh, I think that having the variety is good, and it forces teams to think more and be more creative. Because if you've got a six, it's if if it's all sixes, well, it's it's all sixes. Like you, yeah, you, figure you, you one, can cook your You figure one or two, and then. Pretty much. Ollie, thoughts on eight? Um, I'm glad it, it falls on this weekend. It's the first Saturday in a long time I don't have a hockey match. So <laughs> nice. I can put, it, put down the whole day um, towards watching the race. I'm going to go uh, up to, hopefully, up to another subreddit member's place and watch up um, near Janetta's headquarters, potentially. Um, and oh, uh, I wonder who you're gonna hang yeah. out with. <laughs> yeah, it should be good fun. Um, catch up with old friends, and uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. It's it's gonna be uh, a really good event. Uh, maybe we'll talk later about why, but um, in terms of duration, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's good to mix it up. It's a race that doesn't really have that much attendance, so you can kind of stretch the boundaries of. The duration of the, the race um, compared to doing it like what I mentioned earlier for families and things like that, like at Silverstone. Um, maybe doing it um, a duration of distance um, would be better for this track or this event because there are fewer people to have to plan uh, in their attendance. But yeah, I think I, th- I think it should be good. Fair enough. Cool. So we'll crack back into Shanghai. Um, and firstly, let's talk about the PS, uh, the PS, the P1 class, because I think we saw for the first time ever, uh, the success handicap really hamstringing uh, a team to the point where uh, we saw history be made. We saw not only the first uh, 
privateer p1 podium but also the first privateer p1 win at the line now that's the important part because of, of course everyone remembers the toyota's getting excluded from silverstone last year due to their ride height or plank or something something they basically disqualified themselves for trying too hard when they didn't need to um so the first surprise of the weekend was the fact that rebellion took pole position now we we saw throughout the the practice sessions that it could have gone either way but Toyota were generally faster over a single lap, but when it came to qualifying, Rebellion were the, were the ones to take the pole position. I was blown away by that. What, what did you guys make of it? I'm going to put it this way. I'm not surprised that Rebellion took pole position after <clears throat> after uh, after Toyota drivers saying, no chance, yada, yada, yada. If they're complaining about something, it's pretty serious. Uh, it, that's how I want to put it. Like, like uh, how to put it? Um, the media talk around the Toyotas and the Rebellions, the, uh, the Toyota people did lo- seem to lack any sort of confidence, and I wasn't surprised to see Rebellion come through and pull after after qualifying. Yep, uh, and we'll talk a bit more about maybe the the lack of confidence factor later on because there is some data that shows that they weren't necessarily incorrect in that. But uh, Ollie, what about your take? So. Um... Leading up to Shanghai, uh, it's quite a, cast my mind back quite away. Um, I did. Yeah, we get it. Okay, we haven't predict, done this in a while. Uh, <laughs> I did predict that the rebellion would be on pole position. Um, if you if you think back to last year um, when this race was held, I think the number one split the Toyotas um, in qualifying and was around a tenth behind. Uh, the the pole position average, um, and if you then apply the sort of semi unreliable success ballast value, um, then that would take back, um, peg back the Toyota behind the the rebellion. Um, we we can't comment exactly on how much faster this year's car is over last year for both rebellion and Toyota. But mm. just as, you know, simple hand calcs on the back of an envelope, it would make sense that the Toyotas would come in uh, on pole position. And, and it also makes sense that uh, that uh, privateers, like this is that this is the track that is probably the strongest for privateers because you've got that sort of long straight which, yeah. on which a Toyota is always going to run, was always going to run, run out of boost. They, they were running out of boost last year and they got pegged back this year. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, just a, uh, it wasn't wasn't quite um, rebellion splitting the two Toyotas last year. It was uh, two sorry five hundredths of a second was the difference between rebellion and the slowest mm. of the Toyotas last year. But I do remember now what what I was remem- what I was commenting on. It was the best laps, so the best yeah. single laps rather than the average. So yeah, the second fastest lap was that was set that day was I think Lotterer in the number one. Yeah, and that would make sense. Um, but Seoul brings up a good point. The the track characteristics of Shanghai really favour the the privateers, and we'll I'll talk about that a little later on. Um, in fact, we'll talk about that almost now. The first thing I want to mention about the race was that Rebellion had an absolutely shocking start. It's an absolutely shocking start. It went nowhere from the line, and it was it, like within the first. 500 meters is a dropped behind the P2. So for your first pole position on your, as a privateer on the race that people are expecting you to maybe go on and win, 
that was not a good way to start, but it did allow the Genetas to jump to a 1-2 lead pretty quickly in the piece. Yeah. Uh, Against the rules, I, I think we, we will come back to that. But firstly, yeah, the Genetas at the, in the first stint, they managed to run away from the Toyotas, and it was because of that uh, that situation that Sol was describing, that Andreas was describing. The, the, the fact that you have those two long straights, three long straights even, back to back to back, meant that the the hybrid of the Toyota, because it's so shackled, um, the, the Genetas were just able to use their own power and just blast past them. I mean, what we saw, it, it looked like the, the Toyotas had an anchor behind them once they got halfway down that back straight. But also, let's not forget that the Genetas, they were having pretty clear air at that time mm. before they'd come round to having to lap the... GTE AMs, the GT Pros, and then eventually the LMP2s. In clear air, it's a really, really impressive sports car. It's just when it gets into the messy, messiness. Yeah, sure, you've also got the inexperienced drivers relatively yep. on passing traffic. It's something that Toyota really have got a, a strength. The The next point then is that once that first stint sort of finished off, we saw the Toyotas actually play themselves back in by taking that shorter pit stop. And that was because they have the, the shorter fuel fill for that Toyota engine. So once the Toyotas actually got themselves back into the mix against the Genetas, we did start to see the quality of that factory team come through. And, you know, I think it was, uh, oh, I, I think it was Boemi at the time, you know, managed to work that pass on the number six by being better in the in the twisty bits and you know con- consolidating the move as early as he could in the lap so that way once they got to the area at the back of the end of the lap you know the genetics couldn't just breeze past again so that kind of shows the experience of the the factory team in that respect um and then we saw something very peculiar the two genetics just came through the pits for no apparent reason of course we know now what they, what was up with that they all got a, a drive through penalty for jumping the start but it was yeah, a bit odd to just see the Genetas coast through the pits and have no information about it. Um, so, Sol, you were about to say um, about the jump start. Yeah, so what had happened is that is that the race starts when the pole sitter crosses the line. Anything before that is an illegal pass. And be, everyone was expecting Rebellion to just gun it about, a, you know, 100 metres from the line. But they didn't. They, they stayed put. And thus, numbers 5, 6, and 7... Pass them uh, before the uh, before the line, which is an illegal pass, which carries a drive-through penalty. The reason that everyone else jumped was that the the lights went out. So you know, lights off away you go, right? So what? Why is there this provision that there the pole sitter must cross the line first, even if they miss the start? Because it wasn't a it wasn't I'll call it a jump start from everyone else. It was the rebellion missing the start and everyone else kind of running. If it'd been a standing start you know, he, the Rebellion would have just fallen to the back of the grid. Uh, I think it's for safety reasons, because uh, because if something goes wrong with the signaling system and then suddenly it's lights out, but uh, but you then got all this confusion and uh, it's I think it's generally safer for rolling starts for the for the pole seater to control the race. Like if, if you've got a safety car restart, the leader controls the pack no matter what. And in... Um, for example, in F1, there is no passing before the first safety car line, which means, yeah. like, no, no, no matter. Safety car goes out, green flags, do- doesn't matter. 
No passing before the light. Uh, it, it's same with uh, with Battis, right? No overlapping into into into, into Murray's corner after a restart. Yeah, no uh, overlapping. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. That's not something I'd considered, but yeah, it's it, it was a pretty grey area, and no one no one picked it up until they announced the penalty. The interesting thing about the penalty for me is that we had the confusion that the Janettas took the penalty before it was announced. Um, and so everyone was kind of like, what's, what's happening? What's going on? And then it was later on, after it was announced, uh, there was a clarification from the race director saying, apparently cars have gone through the pit lane before the penalty was announced. In my book, that's a valid uh, undertaking of the penalty. But still... I think that shows a little bit of inexperience in the team to say that, you know, they didn't really... Technically, they didn't really follow the procedure. And technically, if Eduardo Freitas wanted to, he could have made them take the penalty again for not serving it correctly. No. No? Eduardo wouldn't do that. No, I I mean... Eduardo wouldn't do that. Yeah, Eduardo wouldn't. But if... By the letter of the law he could have asked them to do it again or he, rather he could have told them to do it again we're talking about the letter of the law with the you know this kind of series it doesn't really make, <laughs> it doesn't really add up they just give you know invitations to whoever what do you stuff mean? like that you know <laughs> what they they reserve the like every rule book it's like they they reserve the right to do whatever they want yeah like that's true um and <laughs> god damn here we go uh we'll, we'll get we'll crack into that uh, that line of thinking um, later on uh, definitely shows the inexperience of janetta they were tr- like i s- suppose they were trying to be good sports and saying all right we messed up we're gonna take it now but this is not this is not a regional series this is not you know this this is not an amateur series this is a this is professional top level top level sports car racing the worldwide top level and at that level, you have to be professional, you have to be ruthless, you have to be cutthroat. And that includes playing to the whistle and just following the instructions, not doing anything you're not told to. Yeah, and I, I think and that's that the thing you. for me. Yeah, they they took it before it was announced, which means that technically they hadn't taken it. Um, but, you know, Eduardo's a good sport, so he does whatever. It was just It just kind of adds to the... Not, not unprofessionalism, but, you know, you can tell that the team L&T is still finding their feet in terms of their standings in the world endurance championship you know it's not a well-drilled team it's you know very very new on the other hand it's um there's a potential that the the penalty could have been communicated to them to the team but not publicly announced so it could be that you know you'll probably get a a drive-through penalty for this i mean it's slam dunk kind of thing but we'll publish it and then they have to then react to the published article yeah steward's decision um because remember you know freighter says on the on the radio steward's decision number x y z whatever yep um mm. the, the chances are they got a communication from eduardo's team saying you will be hearing from us about a drive-through penalty for a jump start soon so it's like okay fine it's pretty slam dunk look at the replay let's just do it yeah so it's not the case that they they just did it completely on their own backs um out of the blue they probably heard something about it. yeah and it was like the lap after they did it it was announced so it wasn't like everyone was freaking out for a long period of time it was just very very weird and i don't 
I actually don't think I've seen that in motorsports before. Someone taking, well, a team or driver taking a drive through before it was formally announced. So yeah, that that's more the thing I had with it. And I mean, like it's it's very much a dot the i's cross the t's sort of thing. So it was just yeah, it was just a very weird thing. Um, but either way, what this meant was after the the drive through penalties to the five, six, and seven it meant that the Rebellion, the Recovering Rebellion, was able to storm through the field. So, firstly, it was the only car to take fresh tyres at the first stop, which ended up being a big play for them, considering that they were two seconds a lap faster than every other P1 car in that second stint. Uh, it brought That decision brought them back into the fold, and then the penalties put them ahead of the of the Toyotas and the Genetas. And from there, they were able to control the race. And I think it really shows, you know, while we've been talking about how the Genetta team is maybe the unfinished product, the Rebellion team act and run like a factory team. And they were put under the pump being in that position and they completed the job and they won the race, which was a very big, very big win on their part. Yeah, congratulations to them. I mean, uh, yeah, you could tell even last season during, during the super season that Rebellion were a, were a well drilled team because they they've been in this what ten years now something like that. Oh yeah, it's something like that. They've been they've been in this a long time and and you could show uh, the same story story we're saying now with Janetta is uh, what we've been saying last season about SMP. Uh, you know they also started as a very undrilled error prone team no, no, no. Uh, by the end of the super season. Well, SMP were run by ART Grand Prix, which is, you know, a very professional team. Yeah, sure, it's picking up a new car that they haven't used that much before, but, um, or ever before, with new engine that this car isn't, this chassis had never had before, blah, blah, blah. But for pit stops and things like that, SMP were really impressive. When it comes to Janetta, however, this team is put together from personnel that I don't think have done much of this stuff before, to put it lightly. Um, put it kindly. Well, to put it <laughs> kindly, I mean, the the team that was running the five at Le Mans um, in, God, what, what the, the year that they made it. Um, which, was only and, la- uh, which was only last year, actually. Yeah, last year, not this year. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was um, tongue-twisting. And... Uh, yeah, that was pretty much um, people who manufactured cars in Janetta's factory, like on the line and things like that. Just guys um, or, or engineers in the office, like designing parts. They just clubbed together and went down. And I'm starting to feel not that it's the same. You know, there's a bit more air of professionalism um, in the current Janetta team. But, you know, we've got mistakes like. Um, the wrong tyres being fitted to the car, the for qualifying at Silverstone, um, using too many tyres at Fuji. Even, no, the the qualifying tyres weren't even in the tyre ovens. Oh, okay, wow, that's and an inside of They knowledge. take like over half an hour to properly um, homogenise in temperature in those ovens. So you know when you put the quality tyres in the oven five minutes before qualifying goes green what are you going to do so it's these sorts of mistakes um that are, that a non-professional uh, fully professional team would make mm. and i and i don't think um 
we've seen that in a long time for for LMP1. Yeah, and to round out to the original point, I don't think SMP was quote unprofessional or rough around the edges they were a well-drilled outfit it was the car that was having problems which they overcame throughout the season yeah so rebellion ended up taking the win uh they were a little worried there was a bit of a question mark over whether the toyotas could cut out a stop at the end of the race but an fcy about an hour out from the finish forced everyone onto the same strategy so it gave that strategy advantage back to rebellion and then from there they closed out the race and they did a very very good job of it they ended up winning by over a minute to the toyota number eight car so the first at the line win for a p1 privateer congratulations Woo! okay so what actually went on here why was rebellion who we've seen not only this year but last year be seconds off the pace in races versus the factories, why were they able to overcome what is a significant performance and intrinsic technology disadvantage to win a race in the WEC? Complain. <laughs> really? Was that it? <laughs> they won it in the boardroom. Be Swiss. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, just, it's a cynical, cynical take. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's a product of the the scenario that we are in with the World Endurance Championship. Toyotas have had for this race, uh, let me find it, a handicap of over two and a half seconds per car um, with the Rebellion 0.95. So one and a half seconds um, delta between the two of them. That's kind of enough. Um to to hold the Toyotas back but then also it's the combination of the Rebellion being able to handle this handicap better than the Toyotas being able to handle their more significant handicap because the gaps between their best laps and the ones that they're doing most of the race you know they're kind of um, repeatable lap times the Rebellions were really 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 consistent like they, Mm. they hardly fell off in their lap times, whereas the Toyotas were kind of resembling what the Genettas were doing and really falling off a cliff in like their first 10 laps, if you if you take a look at them. Yeah. So I'm going to reference back your sports car engineering blog because I think it's the best thing since sliced bread. You did actually a very comprehensive analysis on the lap time differences and changes throughout the race for the LMP1 class, uh, extending out to 75 laps, which is, I think, longer than you normally do as well. Um, or is that maybe just a product of the four-hour race? Yeah, I I um I, I did this um when I looked at more longer-term effects on the Genetta. Um, I think even from Silverstone, but I don't know if I've added it to any of the articles because it really emphasizes the point at, at the um, if you have it in front of you right now, the sort of gradient at how. Um, the, the repeatable laps fall off. Yeah. So the Rebellion and the Toyotas are able to just consistently match lap time, lap time, lap time, again and again and again, whereas the Genettas just keep falling away. And the the further you extend, the more of the race you kind of look at and encompass with the plot, you can kind of get a more representative look at the more of the race sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and to round it back to what's happening, what was happening at Shanghai... 
when I look at this plot here, um, which everyone should definitely look at if you haven't already, sportscarengineering.blogspot.com, do it. Um, plug in that for Ollie because I know he wouldn't. Uh, you can definitely see not only the Rebellion be uh, comparable on fastest lap times, maybe not absolute lap times, but the more important thing is that there is a significant trough between what the Rebellions were able to do across a stint, for example, versus where the Toyotas and where the Genetas are. And that, when you translate to what was happening out on track, you know, you could definitely see the Rebellions have a more consistent lap speed. But on top of that as well, the we made mention of it already, the topography of Shanghai does not make it easy for the Toyotas when they are running that big uh loss in hybrid power and uh their other the other handicap areas that they've taken away of course they're not adding weight because the toes mm. yeah mainly yeah. weight to be fair um i think uh the handicap uh does proportionally hurt Toyota more than it does rebellion because uh, rebellion is a much simpler car uh in its construction it's uh, whereas Toyota is, uh, Toyota is a very finely is a much more finely tuned machine, uh, the, and changing one elements just one element just throws everything else else out of balance. Don't get me wrong, a Rebellion is still a very <coughs> finely tuned machine and is beyond anything I could ever dream up. But a, a hybrid car has an extra dimension uh, with with which they get to play with, mm. and that well, just I throws everything to talk out about of balance. This. Um, I'm sorry. If you think back to no, 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 no. If you think about this, uh, if you think back to rather to headlines during the super season um, and privateers not having to lift and coast and things like that, mm. lifting and coasting yeah. is a massive, massive part of the hybrid kind of system working together because they have such yeah. a limited amount of fuel allowed per car for the hybrid Toyotas compared to the to the privateers. And if you think yeah. about what you're going to be doing with more weight and less hybrid boost, it, you're actually, you need to... You're going to scrub off more energy on the brakes rather than the motors. No, 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 no. I, I, I wrote this down. Um, the, the less uh, hybrid energy that the, the Toyotas have, the more impact it has on the petrol energy side. So if they are on imagine just a, a straight um they're using yeah. less hybrid energy so they're coming off the uh-huh. hybrid boost earlier uh-huh. they're then just on petrol energy but they've got the same or less petrol energy than they had before yeah this time that it takes to get to the end of the straight is going to be a lot longer so they're going to have to lift and coast starting even earlier so they can't account for let's say less hybrid energy with driving on the petrol engine more or longer into the straight because and it propagates they just don't have the fuel exactly so having less pet having less hybrid energy actually takes away the petrol engine's performance as well because they have they're hamstrung with having hardly any petrol energy to use up so having more energy helps you get to the end of the straight using less petrol because you're going to be doing the distance in less time 
Yep. That is a very hot take, but <laughs> well, it, no, it's not a hot take. The, the long and the short of it is, no, no, okay. if you have less acceleration out of the corner, you need more to propel you down the straight, which means you're going to be using more fuel. But you're, but because you're a hybrid system, you've already been given less fuel, so you need to lift off mm-hmm. earlier. And all this means is that at the end of the straight, we were seeing the privateers have a thirty to forty kilometer advantage break into the braking zone versus the versus the Toyotas. I remember one specific instance during the race where the Janetta was able to repass the number eight Toyota. This was after the first pit stop sequence. And the reason was that the Toyota got blocked out by a P2. It came up to the back of a P2 to pass it. I think got... it's a Ferrari, actually. No, no, it was definitely a P2. It was the high class. I... It was either the high class mm-hmm. racing machine or the Jota Sport machine. What happened was the Toyota made the pass on the exit of the corner preceding the long straight, ran out of juice. The P2, because the P2 has a pretty significant engine in it as well and is pretty slippery, managed to get onto the inside of the Toyota on the uh, coming into the braking zone, and then the Janetta just followed it through because the Toyota could do nothing to resist. And so, yeah, the the result of this handicap has meant that the Toyota has had to drive even more efficiently, but with less, if well, not a less efficient means, but with less capacity in both fuel and hybrid. Well, weighting weighting the the energy per lap away from hybrid means that you're going to have to be then more reliant on the petrol engine but because that's a limited quantity or limited entity that you already have then you're either going to be running on a leaner lower powered engine mode all the time or you're going to be lifting and coasting more or a combination of both so by reducing the hybrid energy you also have to turn down your engine to compensate Mm. Ah, so it's all even more intrinsically linked than we thought. Okay, this begins to make a lot more sense. This explains, to me at least, why the Toyotas were struggling a bit more in traffic uh, and how much they were having to compensate with the long straight by having to be so much better in Sector 2. So yeah, what about the what what about the rebellion and the Janetta then? Uh, how does this result for rebellion affect what's going to happen in a week's time when we're at Bahrain? Rebellion, they're going to after after taking the win and and the the points. Um, that then relates to the handicap, um, which is um, measured in seconds per kilometer per point. So you 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 take this this handicap coefficient and apply it to the circuit distance, which um, I can't remember off the top of my head for Bahrain. Um, and then you use 0.012 seconds per kilometre per point. And that equates to two, just under two seconds handicap to the last car in the class, which is the AER, uh, Gianetta AER number six. And based on the results from Shanghai, that's going to kind of drop the rebellion right into the lap of the rest of the class in terms of their rebe- the repeatable... Co- um, consistent race pace so yeah. after this you know first few races of it kind of all being a bit off um, where you know some cars are too quick or not necessarily too quick but they have a sort of advantage ne- the next race should really 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 kind of all come come together finally uh, and I'm really really looking forward to see how, how the success handicap kind of not necessarily balances out but shapes out the the race 
um, at the next one. Uh, yeah, the yeah. next one at Bahrain. Uh, so, do you want to add to that? Yeah. Uh, what about this success handicap thing? I think it's a bit crude just to use the gap in the championship uh, because there's not like whatever happens, someone is going to pull seven points and someone else. That is a fact of the race because someone is going to win and someone's going to come second. And if that happens, then it doesn't converge to anything. Like if uh, if we have a bonkers race that is perfect, perfectly to. balanced. Sorry. It's not supposed to. That's not its job. Yeah, its job isn't to. Its job, is... its job isn't to converge to the the best solution. The job is to adjust people race to race. It's to stop. Not necessarily. It's to stop a team running away with the championship. It's it's its whole point is not to inherently balance the cars. This is a byproduct. This is a very nice oh. byproduct for the next race that we're going to have a very similar performance window, hopefully, um, for repeatable pace. Don't get me wrong, Janetta will get pole position and they will streak away with the first 10 laps of the race. They will have a big gap. But then when the pit stops start coming in and the traffic starts coming in, then we'll see it all even out. Now, yes, that is a nice byproduct, but it is not the the main point of this. And, and I think that's frustratingly quite a bit of confusion. Um, maybe with the communication from the series, but mm-hmm. yeah, classic it, it ACO communication. Balance of perform- Yeah, it's not a balance of performance. It's not like what we have in GTE. It's completely different. Mm. And I think I mean, on on top of that as well. Sorry to jump in over the top of you. The the fact that the rebellion got a DNF from race one. Well, not not necessarily DNF, but a, a pretty much a, as close to a zero as you can get without actually getting a zero from the first race does sort of. Ex- exacerbate how crazy the change in performance has been over the last three rounds. Um, so you should start to see a bit more of a settling out now that we've gotten over the hump, so to speak. Um, on the other hand, the number six Janetta has reached absolute rock bottom, so it can't it cannot be balanced. Sorry, uh, the other way around. The Toyotas and Rebellions and the other Janetta, for that matter, cannot be balanced closer to the number six car. It is at the maximum uh, capability. Uh, so do we see that changing over the course of the season? Do we see the number six getting back onto terms? I think they're going to have their best chance. Um, well, they're going to have from now on until they get a win or a, a podium or whatever. They, the the time is now, you know. Mm. They're gonna have a really good um, intended time gap uh, per lap against the Toyotas because they've reached the the the, the limit, the gap differential yeah. cap of forty points um, in the in the championship. So unless they're gonna reduce that. Um, distance to Toyota somehow you know they're gonna they're gonna have this inherent gap between the Toyotas and you know the only re- the only way they're going to reduce that gap is to is score get some points. really good results so, okay yeah the question yeah. I have for you at the moment they were already at the limit this race right so the mm-hmm. Janetta number six heading into the Shanghai race had two and a half points the Toyotas, both of them had 44 points. That's more than a 40-point gap, which means that the Toyota was already running at the maximum handicap it can run. The lap yep. time plot that you put together, 
showed a, basically an overlap of the times between Toda and Janetta. Are they going to be able to ever bridge that gap if when the Toyotas are running at their maximum uh, handicap, they are still only on pace? So you've got to look at um, how Janetta have been slowly but surely getting used to this car. The drivers are getting better at passing um, traffic which is a massive, massive, massive part of LMP1 racing. The pit times, I think, should be getting better as the team are getting more well-drilled. And then you've got the the point of maybe at the end of eight hours, you know, in the last couple of stints, the the traffic is going to be maybe spread out enough to Mm. get the Ginetta closer to its, its top of its operating window. As we mentioned earlier, that you know, on a clean track, it is really, really quick. Um, yeah, it is a really good question because, you know, based on what we've seen already, there is limited confidence um, that you could put towards it. But limited um, confidence, I love that. How how very diplomatic. It, <laughs> you just gotta, you just gotta kind of, I don't know, like. You just gotta believe, man. You just gotta believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just have a have a tangerine dream and breathe, b- believe in the orange cars. They're gonna do it. They're gonna do it. Okay. <laughs> so you seem pretty uh, keen to jump in at some point there. Now that now that uh, I've had this final block of explaining success ballast to me, the slot into place. Like if. A 40-point gap in the championship corresponds to the cars being on pace. Uh, I think that just means that that Ginetta is a team that is at least 40 points worse than Toyota, if, if it makes any sense. It's, it, yeah. It's gonna... But the thing is, it's 40 points worse than Toyota already after three rounds. That's the, 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 the thing that's setting alarm bells off in my head. It would have been like that anyway. Yeah, that's true. Um. Well, actually, it's not necessarily true because that Janetta is... The reason it's only got two and a half points is because it's finished outside the top 10 on more than one occasion. And that's more of a team uh, team running the car thing necessarily than the car thing. We're pretty confident that the car is that quick. That happened anyway. Probably. Could have. Yeah, definitely. That's completely yeah, separate. It, you know, t- the Janetta not being good in the pits is completely different to how heavy a Toyota Tioso 50 is. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, fair enough. Okay, I'll concede that point. Um, the thing that is uh, striking me is that even with the handicap the way it is, I don't think Team LNT is ready to put the car in that position where it can take a win. I don't I don't necessarily fair enough. mean just the team. I mean the drivers. I mean the all the pieces of the puzzles aren't there yet. So even though they have that handicap in place... I don't think that the team as a whole package is ready to take a win. Um, now, when... I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The thing that maybe worries me, um, using the term worry as a bit from a sporting point, is that what this likely means is that Toyota will run at the maximum handicap probably for the whole season because the the current points for the for the Janetta number six, it's it's now a 50-point gap. And so, unless the unless the Genetas can start to consistently be ahead of the Toyotas, they're not 
ever going to overcome the minimum 10-point differential to bring the handicap for the Toyotas off of the maximum. So for me, that means that the... I, I don't see that happening. I don't see Janetta consistently finishing ahead of Toyota in any meaningful way to bring that point yep. deficit, deficit down. So the Toyota's just going to run at this maximum handicap for the rest of the season. I mean, yeah. all, and another, all it takes is... All, all it takes, takes is the Janetta to win, yeah. But even still, of the Janettas, I think the number five is a much more likely opportunity, has a much more likely opportunity to win. And if it does win, then, you know, it's going to be taken further away from the Toyotas and... Yeah, the, yeah, or the Toyotas yeah. would then be go go further forward, um, if if the cap if the, the yeah. points differential goes below forty. So it's all very complex. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant about it's going to shake out to be crude. back out to this. It's going to shake shake out. Uh, you know, even if Janetta get a win, you know, it's going to shake out to be what it's going to be at Bahrain. You know, bar, what what we're going to have at Bahrain is going to be more likely to what the rest of the season is going to be like. I yeah. Think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yep. And at the end of the season, we'll just see Toyota just destroy everyone at Le Mans and go, whoa, those Toyotas were actually quick. And I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, because this, all this doesn't apply at Le Mans, does it? Exactly, exactly right. This is much like Success Ballast in, I think, uh, Super GT does this as well. That For the last race of the season, it's just everything's off. So it's going to blow people away. How about it? Th- that's what I meant about maybe a bit crude. Uh, so the non-convergence and the caps, and it's all slightly confusing, Yeah, maybe, to to some people. Again, probably not communicated well, but probably should, probably should talk P- P2 then, eh? Yeah, I was going to say, we've talked about P1 for 50 minutes, so we, we should crack on to some of the other classes. So the first thing I want to make mention of in P2 is the the tyre war was in full focus at Shanghai. Shanghai is notoriously difficult on tyres, and we saw, as far as... For P2, this was going to be the telling point of which of the tyre manufacturers may have produced a better tyre for the P2 class. Unfortunately, though, we did get a little bit of a skewed... There, There is... Because of a series of incidents in the race, there is some skew to the results um, in terms of investigating this tyre war. Most notably, the fact that Racing Team Netherlands started from the back of the grid after a problem in qualifying. United were forced to take an early stop for a problem, which I believe it was the roof, like, windshield cover that peeled off and went into the air intake. That forced... Oh, yeah. Yeah, which forced them to come in because they said they were losing 30% power on the straights. So that's a pretty big power loss. They had to come in very early, which put them off strategy. And then... Um, cool racing which won the first race of the series uh has had you know has a super silver and nicolai lapierre in the car which would have been a really really good uh point of comparison um in a terms of a tire wear battle uh they had electronic gremlins and dropped off the face of the earth uh what that meant was that the joda sport cars the num- number 38 and number 37 joda sport and jcdc on good years basically marshaled the entire race and they were only really challenged in the first part by High Class Racing, also another Goodyear runner. Uh, and then as the AM driver went into High Class, Patterson you know, fell away a bit. United came in because of the strategy difference and all kind of converged at the end. But to, to an, at, a, at first glance, to an outside observer, it looked that Goodyear was the tyre to have. Now, the question I have is... 
was it tires or was it uh drivers in those cars uh i think as always it's a mix of everything uh <laughs> mine no you're not allowed to I, make I a measured take on this you have to be one or the other <laughs> damn it so uh, uh i think it might have been initially tires later drivers and later well-drilled team that knows how to win championships Fair enough. And races. And races, etc. Uh, Ollie, what about you? What are your thoughts? Um, well, looking at the, the lap times, um, Michelin cars, Michelin shod cars were better, but they had issues. So we already mentioned the United Autosports having that little Sunstrip um, sponsor sticker go in the airbox. That required a, a stop outside of normal stint windows so that held them back then racing team nadeland had a, a spin contact with had, in the last corner with i think a gte am car it was uh, the so red river red river sport car yeah yep um and also starting at the back of the grid going through the gte ams and then pros that that's really really significant uh, at holding you back yeah they they were you know if you just take the pro drivers that the the orica on michelin's was the fastest in terms of repeatable pace um that said the goodyear tire cars have been really really catching up fast like it took a while to um get used to these new tires but now they're on it they're on it and that's reflected also with the the amateur times um if you take away antonin borger who is ridiculously quick um in the cool racing car that didn't really do much because of the reliability problems some of the best drivers were in the uh, goodyear cars um gabriel aubrey who is going i believe to be uprated to gold next year um he was really, really good. And also Roberto Gonzalez, who was really impressive in Dragon Speed in the super season. I was expecting a bit more from him at the start of the season, um, but he's now starting to get back to the top of the class. And when you mm. have these really quick amateur drivers on your team, it doesn't really matter as much because uh, with with tyres because the difference between a good am and a bad am is much more per lap than a good tire and an okay tire, you know? Yeah, that's actually, that's a very measured, mm. measured take on it. And I've got here in the notes that even though uh, Gonzalez and Aubrey were great ams to have in the car, you know, they weren't the quickest. The outright quickest was Antonin Borger uh, of the am drivers at the first in the race in Cool Racing. Um, and they weren't the most consistent either. I think the most consistent AM driver was Phil Hansen in the United Autosports number 22 car. Um, but as we've made mention, both of those cars encountered other problems. Um, so it meant that the fact that they had those quality AM drivers and a clean race, they had they were given the opportunity to run a clean race at the head of the field without any distractions, basically. Um, and yep. at the end of the day, they basically popped out in front. Yeah, you do need to keep it clean in uh, in a tight class. 
especially like now I'm looking at the at the plot over the cars and it and at the front it looks really really close like I like so close that it wouldn't wouldn't take a wouldn't um, make a deduction based on fastest faster or slower because because it's very very narrow in there mm. so a bit of tires good year tires came good a bit of a bit of drivers being up there and keeping it clean and as, as you would call it buying themselves a ticket mm, exactly being there for that last in now the question i want to pose now is where's alpine and all this you know the last season yeah. i think the last two seasons they've been the lmp2 champ no, that's a lie. Rebellion mm-hmm. won the LMP2 championship in 2017, so I'm not going to forget that one again. But last season, they were the championship winner. They won Le Mans last season. And didn't they, they, they win won... Le Mans like... Didn't they win Le Mans like three times in a row? Depends on when Lapierre After G-Drive was. Got... After when G-Drive got disqualified, yeah. they won. That's true. And they won so, last year. And they won yeah. in 2016... Because there you go, um, yeah. So they've won. They've won. You know, the last few guys, a few rounds going, um, but you know, they've had a team lineup change. You know, it's no longer uh, Lapierre, oh, and Negrau. Sorry, so it's no longer Lapierre, Negrau, and Thierry. Uh, they've been. They've lost Lapierre for Thomas Laurent, and they've got Pierre Rags, who was driving a storm in the Duquesne car in ELMS. Where is that pace gone from the Alpine charge? I don't know really. It's 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 a it's something that I was expecting a lot more from. You know, it's a car that I was expecting a lot more from the, this season so far. Um, maybe it's you know Pierre Rag is used to being in the top class, and he doesn't he's not used to LMP ones in his mirrors. Um, yeah, I don't know how to dis- how to describe it really like mm. you would expect uh, in the in the top laps Thomas Laurent to be really impressive uh, in this car which he is but yeah maybe it's the second pro driver that that's where it starts to fall back and then rag you know even if he's level which he isn't with the top of the class is it might be too much of a gap mm. so mm. then is this Rag's first time at Shanghai as well? Could that be an issue? Probably it might have been. Because mm. I'm not uh, sure if I'm not he's sure been if off on... the pace. He's been off the pace at every race, though, in terms of off off the pace of the front of the the silver level. Yeah. Okay. So hmm. I I know I know him from ELMS duties. So of course, Silverstone, Spa, Francorchamps, they'd be circuits he'd seen before. Fuji and Shanghai maybe less likely. And if you look at their championship so far, you know, they came second after making a last lap pass on a wounded uh, racing team Netherland car. Uh, they were sixth at uh, at Fuji and fourth running a inconsequential race at Shanghai. Um, you know, that was, they even still lost a position to the United car who had to make that out of sequence stop. So really weird for Alpine to not be in the mix and you would have expected them to be a better representation of the Michelin pace uh, for 
for that race. Maybe they are the best representation of the Michelin pace in that race, and that is where the, the Michelins are in terms of tire wear compared to Goodyear. So maybe that is um, where it is at the moment. Maybe because they have to cater for Pierre Rags slightly lower level. Um, you know, the whole car setup might be yeah. completely different. Fair enough. Um, that's, that's, that could be another thing. Mm. Yeah, you, you, you're always setting the car for the AM, isn't it? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe in LMP2 not so much. The minimum drive time for LMP2 was 45 minutes. So you could it's, it's like a stint plus a lap. So, yeah, it's a really odd thing. We'll have to probably have to see a few more rounds to get a better idea on what's happening there. Um, the next question on LMP2 I have is, can Cool Racing overcome Kanye's bronzeness? I mean, if you just look at Lapierre and uh, Borger, they they would be a fran- a fantastic team. That that duo won the first race of the season at Silverstone, but it seems with because Cognier yeah was injured yeah, and it seems that if you add Cognier to the mix, it just kind of falls apart. So can that duo of Borger and Lapierre overcome Cognier's bronzeness again? No, oof. <laughs> unless he unless they uh... break his hips <laughs> oh jesus Christ. okay um, how how bad is it ollie how bad is it for for cool racing if you're putting Kanye in the car well how bad is it for for racing team nayland when they put fritz van Eerd in the car cool racing yes yeah, sure they have some really really good performing drivers but they're not on the level of two platinums or a gold and a soon to be uh, soon to be platinum and a platinum. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, just looking at your graph on the AM times from Shanghai, uh, there is uh, you'd call it a gulf, but that would be underselling it. There is an ocean between the silver rated times and the bronze rated times. So is but look uh, okay. So on this graph, Lacourt is a is a bronze. Okay, that changes things a little bit. So we're looking he's, at again surprisingly good yeah. mm. so the the difference in average lap time between you know your silver drivers your gonzalez's your borgers your um aubrey's you know they're hitting between a 55 and a 56 maybe out to a 57 um whereas the fastest lap times for a bronze driver at uh at shanghai which wasn't roberto lacorto was uh, a two minute flat that's a pretty big difference and not only that, it, yeah, just looking at it, uh, Silvers are just leagues more consistent. Yeah, that's another thing too. So Because you have to make it a stint. It's it, it's never about the one lap. It's always about the stint that you're going to have to put in the car. Yeah, that's a great point, which in retrospect makes Racing Team Netherlands' success at Fuji even more uh, compelling, uh, impressive. Other good words? Keep going. <laughs> you're almost there the last question I, the last question I have on LMP2 is who are actually the championship contenders we look at the championship at the moment it's Racing Team Netherlands on 51 points from JCDC 49 Alpine on 38 Cool Racing 36 Joda Sport 35 United Autosports 30 remember they had that zero at the in the race at Silverstone High class in twenty six and Settler Racing on twenty. I think, yeah, like who are the actually the championship contenders? JCDC probably. 
uh, jury's out on Alpine. Uh, like, if Alpine can come back, yeah, you can't write them off. But I, from here on, uh, wait, uh, don't RTN have a race without Fritz in the near future? No. Okay, it was I, going I got that be, wrong then. It was going to be Shanghai, I think, um, where Fritz couldn't do it through um, business engagements. But because they were leading Ooh. the championship, they wanted to give him the best chance at winning the championship. Um, so mm. it was going to be Job van Otert in the car, I believe. But then they decided to keep with the standard lineup to give Fritz the biggest chance at winning the championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. I, I don't think they'll do it. Um, I think either of the um, Jota run cars will do it um based on being the best team okay yep i can i i, I can i can live with that yep so the... uh, i think sebring and lamont is going to decide it yeah that's that's a Wait, very good point they are going to be the point sebring isn't sebring isn't extra points anymore is it it's no it's only lamont there it's it's lamont is i think is the higher only race now with double points or however many extra points all um, right but I want to draw people's attentions to Yoda Sport and United. So they're, you know, 35 and 30 points, which is a fair way away from the lead. But Yoda just won the last race this season. They got a zero for disqualification at Fuji. United Auto Sports have a pair of thirds. They got a zero for their car shutting down on the first lap at Silverstone. So, you know, give them a bit more of a representative result and they would be in that mix in the top two or three as well. So really, you could look at anyone in the top six, you know, maybe subtracting Cool Racing from that who got a stellar result and uh, from, the, from the ether. Uh, any of the top six as potential championship contenders. Except RTN, I think. Uh, I don't see them carrying you through. Uh, what I will say is uh, talk. Uh, we should probably talk about the championship before Sebring. So by then we might have a bit of a clearer picture. But uh, I, I find, find out uh, how it works now. So Bahrain and Sebring, the, the eight-hour races, are one and a half points. Oh, okay. Uh, Le Mans is double points. Well, there you go. So, so there's... Points are plenty in the next few races of the series, then. Yeah, there's, there's seven races worth of points left to play for, so we're only 30% into the championship, even wow. though we are 38% into the season. Awesome. I love do, the sound of that. Do you also know the, do you also know the, the, the amateur drive time um, rate, uh, weightings? Because I have a feeling that the longer, racings, longer races have less of an emphasis on how much drive time per race distance the amateur has to be in so then I if you so. do have yes. like racing team Nederland then they're going to do better than they would in a six hour race mm. Mm. I, I still don't see them carrying it through because again as you put it out it's going to be very very hard to overcome Fritz's bronzes yeah we will have to keep because, an eye on because that. at the longer races especially because then you have then you have to cope with two or three stints of Fritz which, yeah, but you, you know, for, for one stint of Fritz, then you might have two stints of Nick de Vries. So you can't have that opportunity to gain that time back, you know, and depending on luck with incidents on track or safety cars, like you could see, um, like, for example, if you look at Le Mans GTM last year, they front loaded 
uh, sorry, they backloaded Keating's Amtime, and you know Keating is a uh, a decent driver in still. But the point is, by the time he got in the car, he had what he had five hours to do out of the last eight, and you know they initially won the race. It was only after in post race that they got disqualified. But you can you can overcome. You have more opportunity to overcome what you would lose with an AM driver in a longer race because you've got uh, more stints available for your pro drivers to be able to gain that back. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me put it this way. If RTN are still in the hunt by Le Mans, I think it's going to be an achievement. Okay. Fair enough. I don't, I don't see them carrying it through. I, I'd be happy to be proven wrong for all the memes, but I don't see it happening. Dutch memes incoming, everyone. Okay, uh, the <laughs> results in LMB2 at the end of the race. Yoda Sport won from Jackie Chan DC. United Auto Sports did come home in third, only four seconds behind the pair of Goodyear-clad runners. Um, Alpine finished up fourth, just on a lap down. Uh, and then it was Racing Team Netherlands recovering to their position of fifth. High Class dropping down to sixth. Settler Racing in seventh and a non-classified finish for cool racing with those aforementioned electrical gremlins. Uh, moving on to some GT action. Uh, and really, we've seen the closest GTE Pro BOP, I think, since... Well, since ever, really. We've been marveling at how close the GTE Pro battle has been over the course of this season and even the tail end of last season once uh, everyone got their stuff sorted out. But it was it was a really close race. It, it makes you forget that there's only six cars in this class when they're all running mm. in the same shot for hours. Um, so that was really, really good. But in the end, uh, it looked like the Aston Martins were the cars to be in uh, as the race progressed, uh, with the 95 car going clear on, at half distance. I'm just going to marvel for, uh, for a second longer. GT Racing for the entire calendar year has been amazing. Mm. End oh, to yeah. end. 10 out of 10 GTs. Oh, we're going to have no GTs. Oof. Uh, Ollie, oof. (laughs) (laughs) Mean. So, the interesting thing... Aston were were, were the the cars to be in um, based upon... uh, Right up until the tyre exploded. Um, (laughs) Yep. You know, it was... For the first time, in my opinion, it wasn't a Ferrari that was the fastest car um yeah it was quite impressive how how ferrari um i don't think there'd been any changes as well to the balance of performance data um but ferrari at the first few rounds were slightly faster um but now this one um i don't know if it's to do with the long straight or to do with the tire usage because of the really rough track um condition surface um yeah, and 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 Porsche uh, are um, really really consistent, despite not necessarily being the fastest in in um, in race trim continuous pace. Yeah, in, in in continuous race pace, they were for once the 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 fastest on one lap. I think they didn't they get pole position. They um, got pole position and sixth position. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. J- just sums the whole class up. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, 
Yeah, so rounding back to what you said uh, on the tyres, the tyres were, again, the talk of the race. So I, re- I recognised throughout the race some teams choosing to uh, change left side only, some teams changing rears only. Um, I think at one stage, the Ferrari actually triple stinted the inside right tyre, or which was ridiculous to me. Um, but... Yeah, the, the, the telling moment of the race was when the leading number 95 car, uh, who was quite clearly comfortable at that stage, blew the left rear tyre uh, going down the long straight under load. And they were very lucky to not end up in the wall. Like we saw, I think it was... Um, Mm. Uh, Ishikawa? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ishikawa in the MR Racing Ferrari at Fuji last year blow a tyre on the front straight and end up in the wall. Um, Didn't we also see Janetta lose a tyre on the front straight at Fuji this year and uh, managed to not clean up the Proton car that was right ahead of it? I'm pretty sure that happened. Yeah. Tyre tyre, um, wear or abuse of these tyres, especially the left-hand side, was a real big talking point um, at Shanghai because you've got long-duration right-hander tires mm. you know turn one and the long sweeping turn onto the long back straight they're long right-handed corners and they're really putting abuse on i think mainly on the left rear yeah so you know maybe left Aston front into one got a bit too rear. sweet yeah because yeah. it's maybe, maybe they got a bit too sweet with um their tire life um or 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 stress they're putting on that left rear tire so you know it might not have been just a manufacturing defect of the tire sort of thing it might have been actually a a setup decision actively made by the team Mm, because you run into problems when you try and be a bit too aggressive with your camber and a bit too stiff in your rear because that's as you said it's not necessarily the number of corners. It's the fact that all of the right-handed corners, and because there's even the, the one in the middle of the second sector as well, it's under load, mm. it's accelerating, and they're drawn out. So the tire doesn't really get a break. Um, so that kind of, that brought out the full course yellow, of course, uh, that we made mention of earlier. Um, and interestingly, it was, it kind of changed the shape of the race um, for Ferrari because they'd, they'd had pace but not really done much with it. But once the full course yellow out, they cycled. They somehow cycled to the lead of the race with the 51 car. Um, and then it was the 97 Aston Martin and then the two Porsches with the 95 just ahead of the 71 Ferrari, which had shown no pace throughout the entire event. Um, the interesting thing from there was that the Porsches actually had better tire life and better tire quality than the cars ahead. So you started to see the number 90, 92 foremost, and then the 91 track up through the field. Um, and they both passed the ailing 97 Aston Martin. Uh, but it would be the number 51 car that took the win for Ferrari. Their first win uh, in a series where they've had the you'd you'd call it the pace advantage or the balance advantage uh so far this season and then they went and got it taken away from them didn't they (laughs) they went and failed post-race technical inspections uh with a ride height infraction on the front left of the car i believe so yeah i I wonder why front left hmm i wonder why (laughs) yeah because they set it up the left side just tracking back a bit to aston uh aston's Tire degradation, Aston's uh, tire performance has been the talk of the entire super season, hasn't it? Like, okay, the start of the super season, it was it's a slow car, but um, but once it all got balanced out, it 
they still had they were still pretty terrible on tires so i'm not well, surprised they were putting, to see they them were, the car was designed to put more energy through the tires to get really quick um to 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 warm the tires up and and put loads of energy into them and and they could switch on the tires really quickly for the qualifying Which is, and things yeah. like that so for a sprint race kind of thing that's perfect but not necessarily for endurance mm, if you look at yeah the, well, it, it, if you look on. at the the when when the were wet races they could put mm. energy into their wet tires and warm them up really quickly and get pace out of them in the wet so, why do you steal my takes and there you go because of course the Aston, you just stole my take yeah because the aston martin you know we it was very clear at le mans that they were dropping off in terms of stint length now that is a you'd call it maybe a gt3 port the idea with the aston martin being you can convert it from a gte car to a gt3 car within what was it half an hour or an hour or something that they were bragging about when they first released it so in gt3 spec where you might have more hour-long races you know, tire quality isn't necessarily uh, a thing that you have to contend with, but for a four-hour race on a very abrasive track or a 24-hour event at Le Mans, you need to be focused more on tire wear. So that's actually a very interesting point. I wonder if they're losing um, losing performance in a GTE sense because of the portability from a GT3 sense. Yeah, but on the other hand, uh, the Ferrari is uh, the Ferrari also has a, a G. Actually, um, they say they have a GT GTEification kit for the GT3. So the GTE is the base car, and the GT3 is uh, something you can convert to the GT3. Then, I suppose, or the other way around. All I'm trying to say is Ferrari also have the the conversion kit the available. Conversion, yeah, the conversion kit, and well, th- they won. Well, well kind of. They kind of they well, on, on the road. Yeah, they won on the road. Um, so it it was a it was a minimum tire. Oh, sorry, minimum ride height infraction. Ferrari have appealed that decision. They made mention in the bulletin that they uh have said that the ride height was ride height infraction was due to damage um from an incident during the race. Um, they're saying in the first lap, the first corner with a Porsche. Um, or a car, not, or, or a contact with a Red River Sport car, apparently. Um, the scrutineers then lifted the car and inspected the car around that corner and found no visible damage and then decided to exclude the car, so Ferrari appealing on that aspect. Um, but as, as the results are now, uh, I think the appeal may have already finished or something, I'm not sure, but as the results stand, it is a Porsche 1-2 with Aston Martins 3 and 4 and then the AF Corsa car number 71 in fifth with the number 51 uh, excluded. So that means that Porsche, again, get another win when they really arguably shouldn't have. And being able yeah. to win when you shouldn't shows that you're in pole position to win the championship. Yeah, and that's a very Porsche thing to do, isn't it? So we look at the championship shape in GTE. Uh, well, I want to look at the manufacturer's championship because I find this hilarious. Porsche, one hundred and fourteen points, already twenty-two points ahead of Aston Martin for, for second place. So they've just they've shot away by just finding ways to get results when they really shouldn't have. Um, they've won 
two out of three races this season. Uh, they both cars have got a win as well. Actually, um, it's the sixty. Uh, sorry, the ninety-two car on sixty-two points, ten points ahead of the ninety-one car, and then the Marco Sorensen Nikki Team Dane Train car is in third on forty-seven points. That's already a fifteen-point gap to the lead of the championship for Aston Martin. If you want to find the first Ferrari on the list, you got to go all the way down to 30, 37 points adrift to find the first Ferrari on the list, uh, which is the number, I think it's the number 71 car. No, it's the number 51 car. So that is a massive gap already in the championship. Yeah, Porsche are Porsche are just running very clean races. They, you know, they keep the, their noses out of trouble. They buy themselves a ticket, as we as we put it before. The pace is almost there. I mean, we've said it before. I don't think uh, there's any shame in saying it again. That is how you win, it, especially in a BOP class. I mean, any endurance race you win by being clean, but especially in a BOP class, you win by keeping it clean and being there. Exactly, and with the racing as tight as it is, with the BOP as close as it is, the fact that Porsche are finding ways to consistently get results definitely shows the quality in the team. And yeah, as you said, it's a championship performance already. We're only three rounds in. Uh, So that was the GTE Pro race. Uh, Now, GTE Am, I will be 100% honest and lead off with saying it is very hard to track where GTE Am goes in such a short race like this because it's just all over the place. It kind of falls into the like the trap of having too much happening to, to cover properly. Uh, like for example, mm-hmm. what happens in LMP3 and the ELMS, because there's so much happening and there's vast differences in strategies. You kind of lo- get lost in, in the, the, the fog of the fog of war, the fog of racing war. Um, so I'm even with 11 cars, I'm finding GTE and pretty hard to track uh, at the moment, but it was pretty clear to see from the outset that the Porsche 56, the two Project One cars, actually had a lot of really good pace um, until the Astons decided to boss their race around. And it was the the amateurs in the Astons that seemed to extract the most out of the car. And I wonder if it is because, as Ollie alluded to before, it is set up to be a car that turns on very quickly and you can extract a lot a lot out of it. I wonder if that makes it more comfortable to drive from an amateur perspective. But I think in the end, the two amateurs, the two bronze drivers, um, Sally Yolok and Paul Dallana, were the fastest bronzes of the event in those two Aston Martins. Was that correct? On race pace, uh, yes. Adigio Perfetti was, was, you know, on, on one lap pace, really, really good. But I think, wasn't that also because they were on pole position and they kind of have a bit of... Um, free not free air because they've got you know the whole class behind them snipping and uh, right up at the heels three classes ahead um mm. yeah um i think the first few laps like you know he could kind of um choose his own lines a bit better and and have clean corners that he didn't have um boxed out from other other cars passing um yeah i I just think these these Aston drivers are are really good right now, and and even with their um, success ballast, they are still really on top of it. Because we had now yeah, that's fair. We had now two Aston Martin wins this season, right? We saw was it the TF Sport car win in Fuji as well? Question mark. Yep. Yep. 
So that's yes, that's that's two wins for them now because they took home this race. The AF Corsica, which was the first race winner of the season, which is also, of course, carrying success ballast for a first and a second place, um, they ended up in fourth. So that kind of shows that the the success ballast kind of works. Um, and yeah, it was it was the likes of Port Alana, Salajolic, uh How did Collado go, actually? Not Collado, sorry, um, Perotto, in terms of the overall bronze lap time. He was was okay. he still in the mix? He was like fifth or sixth best. Bang in the middle. Pretty yeah. much. Um, but I, I've got to say the impressive thing for me was the recovery from 98 because they got, they got tangled up in another lap one incident, which makes it two, a two out of two events for them. Um, but they still managed to finish on the podium in, uh, in third place. So pretty impressive from the, the Aston Martin racing crew there. Yeah, very much, very much so. It does seem to be a very, a very pliable car, as you might put it. And it was, um, I'm, I'm actually kind of impressed because uh, this is the first year for the new Aston in in the AM class. So for for it to come on and come good is um, is actually fairly impressive. Okay, you we've. I was thinking about that earlier. Actually, the fact that it's the first year for the new Aston something just kind of clicked for me. Do you think this is why they've put all of the Aston Martin Young drivers in the AM cars? So, you know, Ross Gunn, Charlie Eastwood, and then pairing them up with the experienced hands of Darren Turner and Johnny Adam. Do you think that's a a bit of a succession plan then Um, to kind of give these younger drivers a, a, a chance at a first chance at, you know, world endurance technology? They've been driving this uh, car in GT3 form already, I believe, and probably would have been doing a lot of testing with the GTE car as well. So compared to previous drivers um, like Matthias Lauda, etc., who and would Pedro have been Lange. focusing on the old spec car. The old lady. You, you, yeah, you have the, a nice line in the sand to make this switch because you can do more testing potentially. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's I think it's the best time to do it. Um, but also, you can get you can squeeze a bit of performance out of these guys before they get uprated, which they are going to be for the twenty twenty season. Uh, Ross Gunn and Charlie Eastwood both being forced up from silver to gold next year. Um, finally, any other impressive performers in GTM before we go through the results and press on to some other things? Uh, Kai Cozzolino, again, really good, really good. Um, he's been super impressive. Uh, now I've started looking at silver lap times in GTEM, um, mainly because I did this because I wanted to see how David Heinmar Hansen was getting on after his really good super silver performances in P2. And he's still, still second uh, last in, in quite a big class. Yeah, which is a bit uh, of a shame. What about you, uh, Andrea? Any um, any specific uh, driver that stood out to you? Not necessarily a specific driver, but uh, I, I, I keep mulling over the Aston. Uh, perhaps like one mitigating circumstance for them is that in GTEM they have, a, I think, at least a set more for the race than they do in the pro classes. So okay, yeah, the 
they don't have to double or, or even triple stand tires, which means they don't have to worry as much about the tire, for example, letting go. So, you know, the quick switching on and... Running them hard the isn't as of much of a car. problem. Yeah. Yeah, the pace well, of that car can't come The other teams would just set, set them up like that as well then. Yeah. The thing is, you, you say know, that they don't have to camera. worry about using the tyres. Sorry to jump over the top of you, Ollie. One of, one of the races got... Uh, sorry, after the race, there was a team that got a post-race uh, drive-through penalty. Sorry, not a post-race drive-through penalty. A three-minute stop-and-hold penalty converted to a loss of lap and time um, for exceeding the allot- the the allotment of dry tires, and that was the number 77 Proton car. So I wondered why they dropped off the tail of the order after the race, and it was because they went over their driver tires, which is pretty uh, weird. Yeah. It's not very clever, like, is it? No, no, well, it's not. So they, at they the w- end of the GTM race, it was TF Sport Aston Martin who uh, won ahead of the Keating Project 1 car, so Keating, uh, Blake Mullen, and... Um, Who's who was the driver that filled in there? I had their name and now it's gone. It's uh Ventured. Oh uh, Ten Verd, sorry. Fucking hell, Jesus. Okay, Ollie, do you wanna give that uh, do you wanna do that one for us? Larry Tenvorde. Tenvorde. What a disgusting okay. combination of consonants and vowels. Anyway, um then it was the second of the Aston Martins uh in third. The class leading AF Corsa car was in uh sorry, before the race, the class leading AF Corsa car uh was in fourth ahead of the second Team Project One car, which actually got a drive through penalty and was still pretty well pretty well in the mix. So I was surprised that they finished in fifth. Um then it was the ever changing driver lineup of the Dempsey Proton car in sixth. 70 MR Racing in 7th, the 54 AF Corsi car in 8th, uh, 9th Golf Racing, 10 Red River Sport, and then the penalised Dempsey Proton number 77, and finally the uh, wildcard uh, Proton competition car, the extra one for the race, which was involved in an early incident with the cool racing car and struggled with their front bumper popping up throughout the race. So that was GTE Am um, for the race. Uh, so championship situation in GTEM it paints a very nice picture if you are in a red Aston Martin um the AF Corsa car is uh the number 83 is now second in the championship very close battle between them and then there's a group of cars three cars within one point uh team project one number 57 the 98 Aston Martin and the MR Racing number 70 all um within one point of each other uh for the championship so that kind of wraps up the WC event of Shanghai, the four hours of Shanghai. Now I'm going to kind of crack the whip here because I want to get through a bunch of stuff before we finish up and we've been going for quite a while already. Sports car racing news. Firstly, the Sao Paulo round of the WEC, which was meant to run on the 2nd of February, has been cancelled. Um, there were apparently problems with the promoter of the event not doing their job, not fulfilling their contractual obligations. So the round has been moved to the Circuit of the Americas on the 22nd of February, 22nd and 23rd of February. Uh, six hour race length has been maintained. Uh, so how do we feel about this? No more backers clash. Yes. That's a pretty big plus. I'm pretty happy about that. I'm not going to lie. What about the track change into Lagos to Circuit of the Americas? Uh, no, no opinion, I, Ollie. I, what about you? Uh, isn't Interlagos quite a, quite a confined 
circuit with a short length. I think maybe opening it up. I don't know if if having it quite enclosed would be entertaining or not, or just make it a complete mess. Um, the the circuit should be um, either reprofiled or, or tarmac relayed uh, for Circuit of the Americas um, because I was watching some of the twenty four hour where we had some nice stickers. Um, they were quite bumpy. Mm. Uh, and wearing the underside of the cars, and it was actually quite um, difficult for the drivers to to keep going through these little impacts on their on their body. Um, but yeah, I think the, those problems should be um, resolved. Yeah, um, I kind of well, like the I like the circuit. It's kind of a bit like Bahrain. Uh I I somewhat it's disagree. But when you look at the Circuit of the Americas, uh, it does look like Herman Tilke, the man who designed it and designed Lol. basically every F1 track in the last 25 years, the last 20 years, uh, did make that one a bit of his, a bit of a greatest hits album for himself. That's true, yeah. And for me, I find that the Circuit of racing at the Circuit of the America kind of lacks a bit of character. Um, the the previous WC events at the Circuit of the Americas, I found kind of boring. They were a bit processional. Everyone kind of spread out, and that's kind of in part due to the circuit layout and in part due to the fact that there's just tarmac everywhere. So there's no risk of mm. um, making moves or passing traffic. You'd kind of have the luxury of trying something and having it not work um, because you can just run off the circuit. <clears throat> On your note of the Interlagos circuit being a bit confined, hell yeah, that's, that's what makes racing, multi-class racing there good. <laughs> it's like the same thing with Mexico. You can enjoy a hot mess every once in a while. Don't quote me. Don't quote that. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be quoted. Yay. But yeah, I, I'm a little disappointed that they've had to lose the track. Um, I was really looking forward to another WC race at Interlagos because um, the 2014 one was a pretty good race um, until traffic happened and a Porsche exploded. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's... I, I don't know. I, I find racing at the Circuit of the Americas to be a bit uninspiring, so I'm a bit miffed at that. And on top of that, it, there is a clash with the last round of the Asian Le Mans series as well, which means that at least five drivers and also one commentator are kind of being uh, asked to choose which one to do. So, yeah, it's not the perfect solution, but it is a solution, I guess. Um, what that also means is that we have a big break at the beginning of the year in terms of WEC competition because the the kind of idea we have been encountering with WEC is like there's a race every five or six weeks, whereas now we're going to have the Bahrain race this coming weekend and then the next round of the series will be Circuit of the Americas in two months. So that kind of, on the other hand, gives us a nice little window to fit in, you know, Asian Le Mans series, Daytona and Bathurst. And sleep, and sleep. Yeah. <laughs> This is true. We just have someone saying uh, WC should have been on the 9th of February, but Coda wasn't available on the 9th. Yeah, that was so, another thing like, as well. Uh, because it, I think Super Bowl and something else is in February as well. So, oh, Super Bowl and Daytona 500. Uh, the, the 23rd was is the earliest they could do it. Yeah, pretty much. So it is a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. So pressing on to the next big bit of news... The Lions are going to roar at uh, Le Mans again. Peugeot are coming yes! back. Yes! Peugeot are coming back. Um, they made the announcement for 2022-2023 season. Um, on top of that, they're partnering with Rebellion. So Rebellion will be a full works team. So we'll have the Rebel Lions. Exactly right, Rex, who's in our chat group. Um, 
there, interestingly though, there is no mention of Orica anywhere. Hmm. What do we make of that? Uh, Orica gonna get in bed with someone else? Hot. Um, maybe? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, cause, like, cause, uh, cause Orica... Go ahead. Because Rebellion is kind of works Orica at the moment. You know, the kind of relationship that the team has with the supplier, the appearance of Hughes de Shanak in the Rebellion garage kind of speaks to the idea of Rebellion being Team Orica. The kind, the kind of... Well, it's the, the people that run the team. The, the people that run the car are pretty much... Uh, Orica, all, uh, mostly, exactly. if not all, Orica personnel. Yeah, it's exactly the same as, for example, Oak Racing and Ligier. They're all, you could call them almost one and the same. Um, so there is zero mention of Orica at the moment. I am not sure what to make of this. I am not sure whether this means that Rebellion is splitting from Orica or doing its own thing from Orica, or if Orica is assimilated rebellion into itself or I'd, yeah. well i think part I of the, the main thing with this question is what's happening with toyota in this because orica at least manufacture the the tub of the tso 50 and potentially assist with running the car i'm not sure about that but remember in the before the privateers came big in lmp1 Hugh Deshonak was always in the Toyota garage. Always, yeah, crying the in the Toyota garage at Le Mans. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Every race, pretty much. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the big question with Orica is, are they going to keep quiet and work with both teams? Are they going to split with Rebellion? Um, are they going... Well, yeah, I don't know um, how that's going to work yet. So that's a question that will be answered in the coming weeks and months fingers crossed fingers arms legs toes and eyes just, crossed just as a quick point uh if they're coming in for, for 22 23 that means that they only get two seasons before they have to move to a hydrogen power plant if they continue with because uh, the whole rule set is written for four seasons so in the autumn of 2024 we get hydrogen cars so potentially we get alternate seasons. fuels whatever that means so they've kind of okay. been a bit ambiguous for around it they've announced the car for 2022 um not sure if that means le mans 2022 or wc 2022 um of course you can't compete at le mans unless you do the wec season now in lmp1 they don't let you do that anymore so eh, we'll see what happens around that um the next thing I want to talk about with regards to this is the render. We've seen this rendered image of the potential Le Mans hypercar for Peugeot. Oli, no. yeah, you can take the floor on this it's one. I know how you feel about this one. It's not a potential whatever. It's, an, it's a potential nothing. Like, it's a definite nothing. It, it's it's <laughs> A press release needs a nice pretty picture. And it was the easiest thing to use to make a pretty picture. There you go. Fair enough. Uh, isn't it a render from a video game as well? Correct. Yeah. So there you go. Everyone. So, so everyone... loads of loads of um, OEMs um, have have in the past and recently actually. Um, Lamborghini, I think, unveiled one last week or two weeks ago. Um, these kind of studio designer wet dream sort of um, fabrications and bearing no real life ability to be made sort of thing um mclaren's done something similar um and 
Yes, it, it's basically just um, a, a video game. <laughs> it's it's um, it's not anything true to life. Is the long and the short of it. So everyone can exactly. un collectively unbunch their panties about the render. But on the other hand, so still Rebel Lions Le Mans twenty twenty two asterix. Exciting times. But another thing, like that render, the original GT Sport car is a front engined rear cockpit car that's really stretched out to oblivion and then suddenly they paste the the cockpit on top of the engine bay at the front like that's not it's a low effort render (laughs) yeah it it, it's a it's a front mid-engined car with a cockpit instead of the engine like it's not real (laughs) Brilliant. The cockpit on top of the engine. The cockpit That's how is you the engine. The driver, the driver is the, the engine. <laughs> it's the seat. Brilliant. Pedal car. No, no, no. Pedal car, and then you tie it into Grand Tour Cycling. Oh, no. There you go. Well, it's hybrid, I guess. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Uh, pressing on. The next. The next. Uh, the next piece of sports car news is the soul shut up. The next piece of sports car news is the somewhat confusing announcement this week from the ACO regarding hypercar entries. They basically came out and said that any entry for the LMP hypercar series, the LMP hypercar regulations, must be tied to an OEM. Now this threw up a bunch of questions and a bunch uh, there was just a lot of question marks around it because it's like what does this mean? Does this mean that uh rebellion Rebellion are only partnering with Peugeot because they need to to enter the series. Does this mean you can't grandfather a car anymore? What about Glickenhaus? What about bad collars? What is this? What does this all mean? Um, so they ended up having to publish a clarifying release within 24 hours of the initial release, saying, "No, no, no, guys, it's okay." Uh, but what 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 the hell went on here? Since someone explained this to me, I kind of woke up one morning and everyone just kind of lost their crap. Yeah, so uh, so OEM it it's not it it's not OEM, it's automotive brand. Now the trouble is that opens up. Well, the good thing about that is it it makes it more open. The bad thing about it is it's vague. As every, as yeah, it's really vague. Classic um, SEO. Exactly. So what um, it, the trouble is it's uh, lost in translation potentially. So there might be a, a French version that makes complete sense. Um, who knows uh the the trouble is like what what does an automotive brand mean does it have to be a car company does it have to be can it be a a defunct car company like what we've seen on the the rebellions with tvr branding does that count as an automotive brand you know do you just buy the rights to a defunct car company and and put that on your car does that comply i don't know nobody knows we'll find out fair enough well what does an automotive brand mean then like can i go hey castrol make automotive oils can i run an entry under a castrol car like if i if i partner with castrol and they bankroll me a car can that does that make a car can i go to red bull can i say hey red bull bank bankroll me a car that, that's they're not even close to an automotive brand they just sponsor a bunch of automotive brands does that count uh, 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 no they they made the valkyrie oh they made the valkyrie oh well there you go so that means that means what that's what aston martin did then aston martin went hey red bull bank- bankroll me a car will you <laughs> we'll put an aston martin badge on it make it look fancy or maybe the other way around red bull went hey aston martin give us a badge we want to build a car 
well give us some money i think oh i mean that too but yeah like it's just a very very confusing way to make a press release so the question mark the big question marks were what happens to glickenhaus and what happens to buy collars in this and do we have an answer glickenhaus no will be fine they are they are an automotive manufacturer they make road cars they are certified in america as an oem um they're an automotive brand the thing with Bicolis is I'm worried more about if they actually will make a car full stop yeah. compared to if it will be allowed or not. And then there's the question of, you know, the subject to approval of the endurance committee, whatever, like <laughs> they'll be allowed in. Sure. Exactly. Cool. So that was a, a big, big old mess about nothing. Much ado about nothing. If you're a literature fan in the audience, um, and then we had another much ado about nothing. Uh, the world, uh, the world FIA World Motorsport Committee met and confirmed that LMP2 will be slowed down for next season. And all the people, all the people who'd been following the story, had a confirm, like a full on, not shocked face. And then somehow it became controversial. Like, weren't people expecting this for six months since Hypercar got announced? Why has this all of a sudden become a big deal, a big talking point? We knew this was going to happen, right? Uh, mm. people like to like to lose their crap about nothing i suppose that's the only answer like things get I think blown people out forgot of to think as well yeah right people engage their blabber bits and their typey bits without engaging the thing that makes it run is i i agree with that ollie and i think the funniest thing and i'm going to actually do something i don't really do and call out a few other places on the internet but there was a lot of chat around uh this issue, this non-issue, being like, oh, this wouldn't be a problem if... Uh, this, this isn't a problem in America, or this isn't a problem in IMSA. They shouldn't do this. They should just use IMSA's whatever, whatever. And without people realising that IMSA literally did this, like, this year. It was yeah. only this year. That pissed me off so much. You will, like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> They've already slowed the cars down. They're, they've restricted the the gear ratios to be the really long Le Mans spec gear ratios to slow oh. them down against the DPIs. Like that's the whole point of the DPI LMP2 class split. They slowed down the the LMP2s already. Like, come on, think. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty pretty dumb. Pretty dumb. Uh, the controversy. It was such a non-issue. We knew this was going to happen. It's such a non-issue. Anyway. Also, with the this mess in P2, we've got the tyre war thing where they're saying, oh, you know, um, getting rid of uh, the tyre war is ridiculous. IMSA would never do this. Hello? They've got a single tyre supplier through the whole grid. Surely you would have noticed because they've got, like, a Michelin person on in the booth for like two hours continuously talking about how Michelin tires are great for the road. Like, how have you not noticed this? And on top of that, before this season, um, half the, well, three quarters of the grid were running on continental tires and everyone was complaining about how crap they were (laughs) and there wasn't any tire war. And so all we were, all we were hearing about tires was how annoying the continentals were. So yeah, that's definitely another valid point. That was that. That's basically the wrap up of the sports car news uh, in the last like two weeks. So 
Uh, with that out of the way, we press on to the last major endurance race of the year, uh, the eight hours of Bahrain, uh, the, f- uh, the first of this season's extended WEC races. Personally, um, for me, Bahrain is a really, really cool event um, because it falls into a really nice time slot for me uh, on this side of the world. Plus, you get racing from afternoon through dusk into into night, which I find amazing. Plus, it's one of my favorite tracks for endurance. The Bahrain circuit, I think, has a lot going for it and is severely underrated. Yeah, and plus, it's just going to be a good time. Uh, I think the day-to-night aspect is going to be really cool. Uh, it uh, remains interesting to see um, how they, uh, they, they manage the lights around the track, the floodlights, compared to the uh, headlights on the cars. So whether it's going to be a fully fully lit, lit, lit track like they do for F1, or whether or whether they're going to let them have a bit of darkness for themselves, I think they but do. Yeah. I think they do mostly lit. Like we, this isn't a new thing at Bahrain. Everyone loves the desert sunset uh, when it comes to the WEC. So I think they they really turn up the wick with the floodlights later on in the evening. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like F1, I guess. Yeah. The question I want to bring up now is we talked at Fuji at length of, say, Janetta's brake problems, which they didn't encounter at Shanghai, thankfully. But, you know, Bahrain has a number of pretty damn tight stops. You know, you've got the stop into turn one, the stop into the final corner, the uh, the three hairpins on the inside of the track. That's a pretty hard car, uh, track on brakes as well. And the ambient temperature is going to potentially be... Hot. Um, hot is what it's well, going to be. not necessarily hot, but, you know, like... Hot, a lot hotter than Shanghai. I had concerns going into Shanghai on the brakes at the end of the kilometre long straight, but because the ambient temperatures were so low, I guess it was fine. If they can make it to sunset, they'll be okay because uh, because it's in the desert, so it's very dry air, so it's going to cool off really quickly. I don't know. I've been places where there's pretty dry air and it doesn't cool off that quick doesn't cool off as quickly as you expect and with the heat also radiating from the surface you know that doesn't just go away straight away the question the next question i want to pose is what are we going to see in p1 uh ollie you were pretty adamant that janetta were going to take pole and lead away in the first stint do you see that lasting for the entire race no not at all um i wouldn't be surprised if a janetta get pole position b janetta streak away uh, if they get through the first corner cleanly, and then C, See, I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't leading at the end of the first stint. So I will be surprised if Janetta are winning, uh, are leading the race at the end of the first, after the first pit cycle. I will expect them to lead almost all of that first stint, but yeah, we'll see. So a pretty similar sh- situation to what we saw at Shanghai then. Without the penalties, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so based on that, who wins? Toyota. Toyota? <laughs> mm, Toyota, yeah. I think so. Uh, I think I they'll, think they'll win it on characteristics. the pits. Okay, so... I, th- on I think they'll win on track, actually. I actually think that they will win it on track. Uh, the, the track characteristics suit them more than they do... The rebellion, so it's straight mm, I, I, I also disagree. No, I, I, I think because you've got three long straights back to back. You have the se- sector three, which is basically two corners, 
the the corner that brings you onto the back straight, we'll call it, and then the corner that brings you onto the main straight. You've got the main straight, and then you've got that run between turns three and four, which again is a is a straight in and itself. And then you've got the internal straight as well for the both uh, for the for the smaller circuit. So really, the only sections that quote favor the Toyotas is that run from turn four into that you know double apex left hander and then the run out of that internal straight so mm. i i would be more likely to say rebellion but of course they've been hit with a handy they will be hit with a handicap uh knock as well so we will have to see i think Janetta's going to be the fastest car on track but but this race is going to have a lot of pit stops because of its duration um and that's where Janetta really 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 have a problem um, mm. so far oh to to quote what i said earlier uh team lnt aren't ready to win a race yet so yeah i mm. i i'll that, that's I'll, really good take. I'll put I'll, I'll say Re- rebellion i think rebellion win nice i i can see it happening yeah nice it's gonna be close should be a good race should be a good race uh do love a good desert sunset what about lmp2 another track that's really tough on tires the longer race will uh, allow a wider range of strategies we're going to see more stints for the uh, co-drivers more stints for the amateur rated drivers um we're going to see potentially uh, a lot tougher on tires with a longer race they might have to run um different compounds for different amounts of time hopefully we get a better understanding of the Michelin versus Dunlop Goodyear divide um, because uh, because hopefully we'll see less uh, less problems for Michelin clad runners uh, early on. So I pose again, who's going to win uh, in the LMP2 class? Throw a coin. Throw a coin. Is that it's that random? Um, mm. not as, but it's getting there. <laughs> Uh, I, I genuinely don't know. Like, I don't know what to expect. Are you going to be a bit braver, Ollie? I've got a good feeling about United Autosports. Think they break through for their first WC win? Yes. Every race, it feels like they've made really big mistakes or had really bad reliability problems, especially with like the electronics of their Orica after switching from Ligier. Um... Yeah, I think this they'll have a clean race. And if they have a clean race, then they're going to be right up there. Fair enough. I I also agree with United, but at the moment, I don't know that anyone is going to beat the Yoda Sport car. They looked really, really strong for both of them. Oh, and also, we actually have an additional entry in LMP2. We do have the G-Drive racing car of Rusinov, Van Oetert, and John-Eric Vern. So I'm just going to throw that one into the mix as well. Hmm. Mm. Mm, yeah oh, amazing how quickly that yeah, changes uh, everything uh they're doing that b- because then uh, uh van oetert is silver for the entire season and i was literally just about to ask that question yeah that is a great point um of course the the driver ratings roll over from 2019 to 2020 um in this in the wec so any driver that competes in 2019 in the wec uh this half of the season rather gets that driver rating carried over and Van Oetert is uh, being bumped up to gold. So he does one race, the last race of the year, then he can uh, he can race at Le Mans as a silver. So that'll be... That'll be... And at Spa. And at Spa, yes, because they're doing the lead-in race at Spa as well. Uh, they're expected to, yeah. Exactly. Um, 
GTE Pro. Uh, haven't heard of any BOP changes, and we are only a week out from the event, so we're expecting that to be the same. With that in mind, does anyone have a particular advantage? We said Aston was strong at Shanghai. This is another high tire deg track, another car, another straight. Sorry, another track with a lot of long straights. Do we are we expecting? Aston Martin to be the team to beat or do we start talking about Ferrari or do we start talking about Porsche? I think Who Porsche, knows? honestly. Porsche for Seoul? Uh, Ollie? Cannot comment. Cannot comment? You think it's that close? Yep. I I wonder, because uh, if you made mention that it was cooler at Shanghai, the Aston Martins were able to turn on their tyres quicker, I wonder if the hotter conditions made that go the other way and we start to see Aston Martin maybe drop off the pace. Um, then the question is, uh, does that mean Ferrari come to the front or does that mean Porsche come to the front? So I'll leave that for the audience to ponder. Um, and the last the last note I have on this run sheet is GCM with just the comment, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it still the 11 cars or 10 cars rather? Uh, I think it is 11. I think last round was 12 with the additional Proton car. Um, we have Norwegian Petrolhead in the chat saying Perfetti is going to be the win. So the number 56 Project One Porsche. Um, I yeah, think that's a strong... Di- David Heinemann Hansen. He's really slow. So, sorry, mate. <laughs> Ollie's quick to put that to bed. Um, I think maybe the, the Keating car, they've been really strong. They haven't taken a win yet. Um, they haven't really had the opportunity to with uh, the clutch problem. Oh, sorry. It was the flywheel in... Uh, it was was it flywheel in in yes. Silverstone? Yep, and then they had another thing at Fuji, so they might um they might have a chance. I think fifty seven, considering the the ninety eight. Sorry, considering the ninety and the eighty three both had success ballast added over the course of the year so far. Mm. Yeah, and and also would Felipe Fraga be uh, coming back? That's a great question. Mm, yeah, actually. If he um, does, I, I think, think so. yeah. If he does, then I think the fifty-seven would be looking really good. In any case, in any case, uh, it's going to be really tough to follow because we've already set ourselves up for, for really good races in P one, P two, and GT Pro. So, what do we need five screens now just to watch one race? Look, honestly, I would be not at all unhappy if the directors had a P and P only on. Um, only on the uh, the GTM battle because I find it just so hard to track. Uh, the the thing is though, then you're constantly checking back with that. Um, but yeah, there is there is going to be action in every single class, and eight hours of it in the desert is going to be awesome. We're going to play another game quickly before we sign off. Uh, there's a suggestion from Rex in the chat. Um, the number eighty eight car again has two drivers, a TBA. Let's play the driver driver suggestion game, or the driver prediction game. Who fills those two seats? We need a gold, uh, sorry, we need a silver and a bronze um, for the number 88 Dempsey Proton car. Mm. Satoshi Hoshino. <laughs> you think they'd bring him back? Oh. Yeah, he did well in Fuji, oh. other than crashing into people, but he did well <laughs> in terms of lap times. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I was thinking more seeing as ah. it's in the middle of the desert, you know, someone like um, Abdulaziz Al-Faisal or someone like that. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Any um, any ideas, Sol? No. No? Not at all? Okay. We'll, we'll, 
Fair enough. So we are we will find out in days, hopefully, um, because we're recording this on a Sunday, my time in Australia. Uh, by the time we get to Thursday, we will have track action, so we will find out who those two drivers are in the revolving door. That is the Dempsey Proton Racing number 88. And that brings us to the end of our recap on the uh, four hours of Shanghai and the preview of the eight hours of Bahrain. Uh, thank you very much, Ollie and Solheimus slash Andrea for your comments this evening slash morning. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having us. Enjoy your cool winter afternoon, uh, the two of you, uh, over in Europe. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Um, I would very much prefer to be in the sunshine. It, well, it's the sunset now, so that's a shame, but I'll still probably head to the beach after this because it's still warm as hell. And thank you very much to the people in the chat room tonight that have been listening. Um, we'll start to use those live pings a bit more often. And thank you very much for those listening on on the podcast, on the record. Uh, yeah, we've, we're almost at the end of year four of Endurance Chat, which is kind of crazy to think about. We will try and get another episode out before the end of the year talking about the Bahrain race and previewing the month of January um, for the sports car world. But until then, I've been Michael Zalavari. Thank you very much for listening. Peace out. Get dunked on. It's a l- lovely, lovely article, and it is <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. Cute. Oh no! Oh, oh, the formatting's a bit shit. Um. Oh yeah, actually, uh, a bit embarrassing. Uh, I was told uh, two days ago, I called Phil Hansen a bronze. Oof. Whoops. Oof. That is an oof. Yep, so I quickly edited it. Whoops.